Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Gabriella Gastra, and today we're going to be fighting the double discrimination of ageism and sexism with Ashton Applewhite, who is an activist and author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabriella. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, before we get going, um, would you mind introducing yourself so we get to know a little bit more about you and why you're here today? Sure. Um... Well, my name really is Ashton Applewhite. Uh, I didn't make it up. Uh, I live in Brooklyn, New York, um, and I write and speak uh, and think all the time about aging and ageism, which is discrimination on the basis of age. Uh, although if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be thinking about aging all the time, I would have said, why do I want to think about something sad and icky? that old people do. Uh, and in the, in, the, in the 15 years since then, uh, I have come to realize uh, so much. It's so interesting. Uh, we don't think about it because we think it's sad and icky. And in fact, we are aging from the minute we are born. Uh, everyone is aging. It is how we move through life for someone like me uh, who could never figure out what to be when she grew up or what to study in university or anything. It's the perfect um, field of inquiry for a generalist because it touches on every aspect of being human, every field of study. Uh, and I got started in it because I was in my mid fifties and I realized I was just vaguely, um, but, but loomingly apprehensive about getting older, but also that it was happening to me. And, uh, so being nerdy, um, I started learning about longevity and interviewing older people and realized in a matter of months, uh, if not weeks, that almost everything I thought I knew about aging was way off base, often flat out wrong, and certainly not nuanced enough. You know, why, why, it's not that the scary things aren't real, it's that we never hear the other side of the story. So I became obsessed with that fact. That's so interesting. So. I personally um, have never really thought much about ageism. Um, I think as maybe most people, um, the most I've thought about it is older people maybe saying things like, don't get older, you know, it's terrible. <laughs> and so me being a little, just a little bit scared about it. Um, well, I think it's human, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine getting older. I don't think that's mm. ages. I think that's just a function of being human. Mm. And I mean, some people scare you, I think sometimes. Um, with it, um, not that they mean to. Um, I bet the but... people who hear you are not the really old people. I bet that, I mean, they're one of the many things I learned right out the gate was about the U curve of happiness, which is mm -hmm. like this, you know, a U it, that shows that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. And it is actually people in midlife, which, you know, who knows where the midpoint is, but, you know, late 40s, early 50s. The, where life is hardest, where people have the most stressors. And also they think, you know, oh my God, it's just going to get worse, <laughs> which is not in fact the case. And I think, you know, no one actually wants to be any younger. <laughs> mm. That's true. I have, as I've aged, you know, um, I have realized that people talk about your teenage years. I didn't really enjoy them. I well, mean, they were fine, but I much prefer being the age that I am now. I get independence. Um, I get to yeah choose what I do with my life. Um, so that's something I've enjoyed as getting older. And I guess I'll get to do that more and learn more about who I am as I get older. Um, 
but we're not just talking about ageism. We're also talking about sexism. So do you mind explaining what that is as well? Sure. Um, well, the dictionary definitions of these things are, you know, discrimination on the basis of fill in the blank, on the basis of race for racism, age for ageism, sex for sexism. The fact is that aging is gendered. Women uh, in particular, we live in a patriarchy, which is a society where men have more power than women. Um, and they don't like giving it up. And where many women internalize this, you know, many women, um, you know, in order to, to one of the ways to succeed under patriarchy is to conform to what it asks of us, of course, right? And women in the context of aging are punished for appearing to visually age, right? And are um, much more than men are. And also our value is very much tethered to our reproductive capacity. Uh, and, and so those are two things that devalue women if we subscribe to these values, but that all of us, you know, honestly have to negotiate and it is not easy. Mm, definitely. Um, and how, how do they impact people? Yeah, how do they impact us? Well, who's us, right? I mean, it's very, it's very, very, it's different between you and me because we live in different continents, because we are different ages. But we, um, you know, speaking for myself, uh, you know, I have a lot of privilege that insulates me against a, a lot of this. I have, uh, I'm self-supporting, so I can't be fired. Um, I have lots of social supports, but. Um, you know, if you are a woman of color, you face the added barrier of racism. That's, of course, the the idea behind intersectionality that each of us is a is a you know has a set of identities, each of which we inhabit in a different way. And and then when you add age to it, right? If you imagine us moving along a line, all these variables also change as we move through a uh, through life. Um, so the situation you know, the advantages and disadvantages are unique to each of us, depending on, uh, you know, the advantages and disadvantages we have. And also that depends on what culture we're in, right? Uh, and, you know, a million other variables. If you are a person with a disability, you know, that's another set of disadvantages. If you are thin and white, which we both happen to be, that confers a lot of advantages and so on under a system that values that has the idea there's a wonderful um writer and poet and activist who last died very young named audrey audrey lord and she calls it the mythical norm um which is that there is some ideal air quotes around ideal which in a you know heterosexist racist capitalist patriarchy is typically thin cisgender male blonde young um, uh, well off all these things. We all know that doesn't describe us. Even, even, you know, a man to whom that might apply knows that he cannot embody all those things. But if you think of a wheel of power and privilege, um, the closer you are, the more of those attributes in this system that you possess, the fewer obstacles and barriers you face to access an opportunity. And, you know, nationality matters. Do you speak with an accent? Are you fat? Um, you, you know, and all those things, of course, also are, are shaped again by where you live, by the society you want, by your life stage, by whether, you know, by a good thing that happened to you yesterday or a tragedy that befell you last week. Mm. Um, and thank you for that. That's... Um... I've always struggled with intersectionality because I think it's such a big term to wrap our heads around. It is. Um, and even though I've done some thinking about this, uh, it's still something that I have to think about more and still understand a bit more. So thank you for that. Um, and I think, you know, the way you understand it today will be different from the way you understand it, you know, a, a month mm. from now. Not not because you're young, you know, that not, this is not, a, me too. I am constantly reminded usually in an embarrassing way certainly in a humbling way of how easy it is to be blind to my own white privilege to the way i center 
you know, whiteness in my own thinking. And, you know, when you are one up in terms of privilege, it's easy to be blind, you know, to these things. It takes real effort and usually putting your foot in your mouth to see, oh, gee, I have this, you know, this is the system I grew up surrounded by. It's conveyed all sorts of advantages, and I'm largely not that aware of them. Mm, that certainly happened to me as well, um, yeah. where I've learned something afterwards and I'm like, oh, actually, I was wrong about that. Um, <laughs> well, good for you. I mean, that's, um, that is the whole thing. We, we don't, these are new ideas. They are different for for everybody, I mean, as a minor example, some people who have a disability want to be identified as, as a person with a disability. I've heard other people say, no, I'm disabled. And I want to foreground that because it's an integral part of my identity. We can't please all the people all the time. And also what is apt in one in one culture, in one country, for one person is different for someone else. We just have to, you know, continuously ask and try and remember the answer and and be easy on ourselves because we are all going to make mistakes. But if we stay in our comfort zone and only hang out with people who look like us and don't bang our heads against these ideas, I think we, I know we don't move the needle towards justice. And I think we also cut ourselves off from an awful lot of interesting human experience with people who are, are not like us in some interesting way. Mm, definitely. I do want to ask just a quick note about terminology as well, because yeah. um, I did notice that um, in your website, you say um, you use the term olders rather than <laughs> something like an elderly person or a senior person. What is the preferred te terminology, I guess? Well, who's who's doing the preferring is always the question, of course. Um, I I Elderly has a very bad rap, and I don't like it. If the world were age neutral, which is the world I want, I want a world where being old or young does not convey value or negativity, right? It is it is a number, an important number, but it's just another identifier like where you're from, right? Um, elderly has a connotation of frailty, and it is often paired with the, like the elderly. And that is the one that drives me up the wall because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. To think that, you know, you wake up one day old and not only does everything suddenly go to hell, but you suddenly join this, you know, blob of old gray people who are all the same, nothing could be further from the truth. Every seven-year-old is a lie, is, is different, is a unique person every newborn is but 17 year olds have way more in common developmentally uh, socially physically than 37 year olds and so on out right so i don't love elderly because it's often the elderly i don't love elderly because i've never heard anyone describe themselves as elderly and a really there's no right or wrong answers here as i mentioned about you know disabled but Ask someone what they want to be called if you want to, you know, be, be, be respectful and try and get it right. We all get it wrong some of the times. And, you know, senior, no one loves senior. I, don't, I mean, I'm I'm not a senior. Like, what 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 is that? I'm a person. I'm a person with an age and I'm an older person. So I did, I'm a writer. I'm very careful about inventing words. But when I was writing my book, I literally got tired of writing older people or older person or older American or older Australian, whatever. And I shortened it as an internal shorthand to olders and youngers. And I ended up keeping them in the book. And I will tell you so many people I know and who follow my work have started using those terms as nouns for a couple of reasons. They get away from words that nobody likes, like senior. I like it because they're value neutral. If I'm a senior, then you're a junior. And you don't want to mm -hmm. be a junior. I don't want to give you lesser value than me, right? And also the really nice thing about olders and youngers is that it emphasizes that we age in relation to others. You can have people in a retirement home and the 90-year-olds will assure you that they are younger than the 100-year-olds. A four-year-old will assure you that she is older than her three-year-old sister, right? So we are olders and youngers all the time and it busts, it breaks away this binary of course there's no old young binary you know that we don't like wait you wake up who you were yesterday just a day older 
And I think if we can add that ER on it, it helps us see that it's a spectrum and we're all, you know, going through this together. Mm, I love that because I find that I do struggle with those words. And I think that that's such a, you know, value neutral, as you said, um, just a descriptor, really, just um, like you would say, older sister or younger brother. Yeah, um, And also, I mean, a, a debatable reason is that many people, because of our internalized bias, like we don't want to be old, old is, you know, we're, 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 we distance ourselves from our older self. Ageism is actually, ageism against older people is prejudice against our own older selves. So that's why so many people are reluctant to, to say I'm old or describe themselves as old. There are so many older people, even in the, the in what I call age land, you know, who, who think and work or work with um, older people who clearly are no longer young, who still talk about older people as them rather than us. But if you start using olders and youngers, Gabriella, people will do like a tiny little hiccup, but they but they know what it means. And it will get you off this hook. And I'll mention another thing, generational labels, never a good idea because they are stereotypes, because they have no scientific basis. Because the minute you hear I'm a boomer or you're a generation, whatever you are, all these associations click into place for all of us, no judgment, but they are not our friend and they lead to old versus young framing, you know, lazy millennials, greedy boomers. How could anything be true of the millions and millions of people born roughly around the same time, right? The term has no scientific basis except in the sense that a child is a different generation from a parent. So I urge people not even to use the word generation if you can avoid it. Let's talk about older people. Younger people solves the problem. It's inclusive. It doesn't separate us. It doesn't stigmatize. Mm, definitely. So why don't we ask? Yeah. So why don't we talk about this more? Um, I think you said before that it is sort of this fear of ourselves being older. And I mean, in some ways I would say, yeah, that feels about right for me as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's real. So so where does that fear come from? Well, it we live in a culture that bombards us with messages that um, aging is terrible, that encountering any kind of incapacity is a tragedy. And unless we stop to question those messages, they become part of our identity. And ageism sinks its claws into us in denial that's never going to happen to me, right? Or if I eat enough kale or, you know, use enough skin products, that won't happen to me. You might postpone some aspects. You might stay more more limber. Um, honestly, none of the skin stuff works except sunscreen, but still. But of course, we all get older and you cannot, you know, you, you cannot not age except by being dead. Uh, the messages come from the culture that we live in, which is above all capitalist, right? No one makes money off satisfaction. I mean, think about what we've learned from the body acceptance movement. The diet industry, right, is worth billions and billions. If people woke up in the morning and say, you know, I've got a few uh, extra pounds and even the word extra, who's to say they're extra, right? In whose terms, I like the way I look and I'm not gonna torture myself and spend money trying to conform to that mythical norm. No one makes money off satisfaction. If I like my wrinkles, I am not spending hundreds of dollars on tiny little bottles of, you know, youth serum and so on. And of course, we also have patriarchy, which, which, and I, I'm not, sorry. So we live under capitalism, as I mentioned, and also capitalism needs workers, right? It needs more and more workers to make more and more money. And, and all prejudice, all discrimination serves the interests of the people at the top of, of a power hierarchy, which are, you know, the wealthy under capitalism, because it enables them to pit people against each other. If you know the, the classic example from Marx, not that I've read any Marx uh, 
from, from the, you know, for actual Marx, but I've read about Marx, um, you know, is to pit the the new groups of the immigrants, right? The new, the Polish factory workers against the Italian factory workers, the latest group of immigrants, which has less status and privilege, so that the factory worker can keep wages low instead of the workers joining together to form a union and insist on fair wages. Stay-at-home mothers arguing with moms in the paid workforce about who's a better mom. Wrong fight, right? How about joining forces to close the gender wage gap so that women can choose whether or not to stay home? So that's, that is the larger function that prejudice serves in this system from an economic point of view. And, um, you know, so, so those messages come from all over. And as I mentioned, you know, patriarchy, if, if women are competing to um, serve men on terms that benefit men, great for the men who are largely still in power. Mm. I've noticed that sort of conflict as well between generations, particularly I find generation, what is Uh-oh, it? Uh-oh, you're going to do it. Uh-oh. <laughs> the millennials versus the younger generation. And I found a lot of that very interesting because there was also the... Um, opposite where people were coming and saying, actually, this is, we shouldn't be fighting each other. We've got more in common than um, we have um, against each other. And it's really silly fight. So why are we trying to, you may you know, find these differences? More. Yeah. A- and, mm. you know, think the minute you say, you know, Generation Z, a whole bunch of assumptions, which are devoid of scientific basis. Nothing is true of the millions of people born roughly around the same time, whether it's 1952, which is when I was born, or whenever it was that you were born. We do have differences. And I will say also that we are, there are experiences that help shape an age cohort, right? If you experience, lived through a depression, right? If you lived through a war, if you lived through a time of economic prosperity. But when we clump people into generations and assume that the interests of older and younger people are opposed we 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 give weight we give age so much more weight than it deserves class ethnicity gender all play a much bigger part in shaping what matters to us than age does you may have you may you know meet an older person that you can't stand, whose ideologies you are opposed to in every imaginable way, but it's not because of their age. It's because of the other components of their identity are much, I mean, is age a tiny piece of that? Yeah, but nowhere near as important as we think it is and as important as those other things. There are older people who have worked all our lives for climate justice. It's really tempting, and I hear it all the time, to say, look, you know, old people screwed up the planet and look what they left us. But you know who screwed up the planet? Greedy corporate interests. And those people come from every country. They are mainly men, but there are plenty of greedy women, and I'm sure people, you know, gay people, non-binary people also. It does not have to do with age. It has to do with your values. Mm. And I've seen that. I've talked to um, olders who have um, had opinions that I was very surprised. I was like, oh, you're so, um, you know, um, with it, you know. Um, right. And I, and obviously that's that's a, um, a stereotype that I had about them that um, was obviously busted that day. And then I've talked to people <laughs> who are around my age who have, uh, opinions which are, you know, against what I think and what I think would be more relevant to someone who is older. And again, that's a stereotype I had. Um, well, I, I listen, I think it's fantastic that you are so open-minded and, and thank you for being so vulnerable about this. I mean, one of the maddening assumptions about older people is we aren't interested in learning new things and we stop being curious. If you are a curious young adult, you are going to be a curious old adult if you have enough time and enough privilege to indulge your curiosity, right? Our, our temperament does not change as we move through life. And something that I'm kind of looking forward to is maybe one day having enough income, enough time that I can indulge some of those things, go back to uni and do something fun um, just cause. 
Well, I hope um, that, you know, one of the reasons, and maybe the overarching reason why it's so important to confront ageism, well, I would say, I would say the biggest issue of our day is climate change. And one mm. really big reason to push back on any kind of old versus young framing is that we need everybody on board to, you know, address the really wicked problems, you know, that the planet and humanity are facing today. Um, a more geeky demographic reason is that population aging is a permanent global trend. Everyone everywhere is living longer. So I hope that you are able to go back to uni. I hope you don't have to wait until you're old. You know, we had this in the West, this sort of idea that you were young and then you got married and had babies and worked really hard then you and, and worked really hard, which sucks for women. And then you retired at perhaps 60, 65. That whole idea is so completely obsolete in a world of longer lives. It also reflects a time in which people didn't switch jobs all the time, right? In which there was economic security. And I want to mention a cliche around that. People saying millennials, oh, they, they job hop, they're disloyal. And probably that's now being used against Gen Z. Guess what? When people my age were that age, we job hopped too, because that's what you do when you're trying to figure out what to be when you grow up. It's not a function of when you were born, right? Which is, would be your generational label. It's a function of how old you are. And it's an example of how these labels are used to pit us against each other. In a world of longer lives, and millennials, of course, I was incredibly lucky when I grew up. I grew up into 60 years of economic prosperity. My kids, who are quote unquote millennials, grew up in a time of profound financial uncertainty. We're all going to have to move into and out of many more professional lives and keep being trained for things. So I want a world in which you get to take a break and hopefully get some, you know, universal basic income. Wouldn't that be nice? Not that I'm, a, you know, an expert in it, but where you could take a break or if I don't know if you have children or want children, and I do not mean to privilege the biological family, but where you and, and perhaps your partner also could take some time off when the children are young and then ramp back up into your career without taking a paying of, uh, you know, professional price. And I can tell you that I hear from I mean, tragic notes from people in their 40s, 50s, 60s who are at the height of their game. I mean, I'm 70. You know, my body doesn't work as well as it used to, but I can tell you my brain, I don't think has ever worked better. To have the door shut in their faces to not even get an interview because they're too old is heartbreaking. Y'all want us to keep working. We want to keep working if, if, of course, we have decent jobs that we like where we are not exploited. But what about what's happening in France um, where they're having, they're trying to increase the um, retirement age and there's been a huge backlash against that. Um, you know, yeah. France is France. <laughs> <laughs> Fair um, enough. I, I do, I mean, they, 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 they have a special relation to the state. Um, the retirement age, age is gradually being raised here but I would I would answer with a with a larger point that mandatory retirement should become obsolete, right? No one should be forced to leave the workforce. We should have better on ramps to work. You should be able to maybe try out more things and and not work full time when we're as young as you're now have to be in a heartless capitalist system. Uh, and then it is just absurd to all of a sudden not work. I mean, you know, companies lose a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge and know-how. The best, we know, we know that the best teams, especially in creative enterprises, are diverse. Age is a criterion for diversity. You don't, I don't ever want to say like old people are better at X or, you know, get rid of the young people, you know, the young people saying, oh, those old people, you know, they never want to accept new things. There is a grain of truth in every stereotype, but the best teams have olders and youngers, just like they have straight people and queer people and men and women, because heterogeneity means that you draw on a wider range of skills and experiences. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, that's one thing anyone can do. You know, I think we've we've gotten better at noticing when everyone in the room is white and mm -hmm. when everyone in the room is male. Train yourself to notice if everyone in the room is the same age. And unless mm -hmm. there's a really good reason, speak out about it. And a social occasion is not a really good reason because we live in a really age-segregated society too, especially in the U.S. And that cuts us off from most of humanity. When you spend most of your life with people your own age, of course you think, I have these things in common with them because they are my own age. But if you diversified, same with people you know who are not the same race as you, and it takes conscious effort and it's awkward, it is easiest to hang out with people who look like you. But you know, the next time you're at a party or a meeting, Go talk to someone who isn't your own age. Break that habit. We all have it. No judgment, but to go sit with people your own age. You have a party, try inviting, you know, someone older or younger. Making a significantly older or younger friend is itself an anti-ageist act. Hmm. I sort of experienced the, not opposite, but something like that. Um, I've always worked with people, who, well, not always, but most recently, I've worked with a lot of older people. Um, so, um, you know, people who maybe have kids who are almost my age. Um, and I've really enjoyed working with them. Um, and then I recently changed jobs, started working with people who are a few years younger than me. Huh? And to suddenly be the oldest person in the room, I found what it quite What did it feel like? Oh, I felt ancient. <laughs> now, I, was only I, will, like I will turn that on you and say what did ancient feel like, right? What are the actual emotions? What are the actual feelings? Because we, you know, to feel, to you, you can't be ancient because you're not ancient. So what, and I love that you said that and thank you for being so honest, but what did it, what are the actual feelings that it brought up? I think, um, I guess I've always, that's a really great question. I have to think about that for a second. I don't, I think that I didn't understand a lot of what they were talking about no. or, or some of it. And it felt very odd for me because I've always felt like I was the most up-to-date person in the room. Yes, yes, and then all of a sudden I wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just changing, I guess, my perception of who I am. Yes, um, and um, also, I guess the fact that people younger than me, I always was, I always considered myself young and um, therefore I was the most inexperienced um, and everyone younger than me was a child. <laughs> well, thank you for being so honest about that. I mean, these, these are real and legitimate, you know, um, transformations. We do have cultural references. Um, you know, I remember this was ages ago, but my son had a friend and they were talking about, I was, I think it was when Snapchat was just first out there. And I, I was like, well, how, you must use Snapchat all the time. He said, no, I don't. And my younger brother uses something I've never heard of. I just assumed because he was capital Y young that he did all these things. That was an ageist assumption, you know, that he was up on the latest, um, you know, social media. Ageist assumption on my part. Um, I have a colleague here, I just saw her, she teaches um, at the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is a wonderful school here, and she's she happens to be German. She's about 20 years younger than I am and very hip, very with it. She says, the students entering now for the first time, I'm really not getting their call. I really feel a gap because she, she in fashion, fashion is all about trends, of course, so she professionally follows trends. So. I'm I'm not um you know knocking what what you are experiencing what she is experiencing is, is real we move through life and we age once again in relation to others but I think you know I I think it's wonderful if you're able to continue working with all ages because I think you'll I'm curious um you know the people you have the most in common with or find the easiest to work with or the most impossible I bet it's not because of how old they happen to be, but of other attributes. Definitely. And um, I had, I did have to, you know, think about why I was feeling these things and yeah. what my reaction should be and uh, what I can learn from it. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that has helped me, um, you know, no realizing shoulds. that, yeah. 
No, I got a really good piece of advice when I was writing mm-hmm. my book. No shoulds. You are, you know, the fact that you were thinking about this so, so sincerely and so hard is what you should, <laughs> you know, is, is fantastic. And that is hard. And that mm-hmm. is the most important thing and the best thing you could possibly doing be doing mm. in my um Thank you. Opinion. That actually brings me to um so other than thinking about this more, what can people do to help to combat ageism and sexism in their own lives? Yeah. Um great question. Um I want to reference a website called the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse, and the website is oldschool.info. I started it with two colleagues in 2018 because I thought, you know, the movement to end ageism is new. It's emerging, and wouldn't it be great if there was a central repository of all the best things, right? The the podcasts, the books, everything's free except the books. Infographics, um, you know, papers, all sorts of stuff. So go to oldschool.info and noodle around as a way to educate yourself about what ageism is because, you know, it it affects you differently than it does me, differently than it affects someone with a different life experience. Uh, One of the things we do is create um, conversation guides and, and consciousness raising guides to help people think about their own bias. They are free and downloadable. If you search for racist, you will see ageist, racist, who me? A guide to understanding the way ageism and racism intersect. We have ageist, sexist, who me? Download it. It's free. Just look at the definitions. Just look at the questions. Look at any bit of it. You know, look at it once a week. Look at it once a year. The most important piece of all of this is the hardest. It is to look at our own attitudes towards age towards gender towards race how do we feel about you you know about those aspects of our own identity and where did those ideas come from and what purpose do they serve because most of them are without factual bias and they divide us and they harm us And we haven't really talked about um, sexism and how that, um, well, we've talked a little bit, but not a huge amount. Um, so how does how does sexism and ageism affect women in the workplace? Oh my God. Um, so there, so there's, there's a whole hashtag, gendered ageism. Um, and women in the i mean first of all women are paid less out the get-go women in the workforce are never the right age first we're too cute and sexy to be taken seriously then we are too fertile to be to be promoted women in the u.s stop being promoted into managerial positions in their 30s early 30s i believe it's age 32 because you might have a baby so nothing's you know, more maddening than being discriminated against for something that might happen. And as we know, your uterus and your brain can work at the same time, but you can't, you know, really go up against a, a, a bias that someone has if they're determined to hold on to it, except with evidence and persistence and mass movements, which is why I do what I do. Uh, the minute and then, so you're too fertile. And then once you stop being fertile, it's all over. Hmm. And I mean, as I mentioned, women are punished for uh, for appearing to age. Human resources people are sort of the gatekeepers here. There was a study out of Australia today showing that HR people admit that older people are better workers. Sorry, I'm back to I. Uh, this is I don't know the gendered piece of that, um, but that they that older workers are fantastic workers, and yet they are more reluctant to hire us. I can tell you um, that that data abundantly supports the fact that if that is a prejudice that is clearly felt by all older people, I mean, because they studied both, it is compounded by gender, right? And it Mm -hmm. is compounded again by race. If you are an older black woman, it's even harder. If you are an older queer black woman, it's even harder. 
So ageism, but but for for women, it is a problem all the way along because we live under patriarchy that diminishes us and that values us according to a system that we did not come up with and that does, does not work to our advantage anywhere. That reminds me of something I saw. I can't really remember where it was, but it was just asking the question, why do older women exist? <laughs> they, <laughs> and it was basically asking why, like in, you know, in older societies, you know, um, there was this idea that, you know, women would have children and men would go and hunt um, and could do those things. But then why would a primitive society have older women when they're just a drain on resources? Well, let me point um, out that um, in the um, Paleolithic era, that was the mm -hmm. first time that our hominid ancestors evolved to live long enough to have three living generations. That's when art happened. That's when music happened. That's when civilization, the first, first signs of civilization began to emerge. And it's called the grandmother hypothesis. The theory is that these older people, women in particular, were because the men were off getting stabbed hunting mammoths, um, that the women were repositories of knowledge. I mean, you know, take elephants. You know, we know that the matriarchal elephants live the longest and are the guardians of the clan. So it was the emergence of a, a third living generation that allowed knowledge to be passed on. And it was at that point that really, um, you know, we, we became Neanderthals and then Homo sapiens and so on. So um, it is true that we cease to have reproductive value, but anyone who thinks that the value of a woman is tethered to whether or not she is still churning out eggs and able to produce I mean, think how incredibly disrespectful that is to all the people who are not, um, you know, uh, able to reproduce in a conventional way. I mean, it's offensive beyond imagining, not to mention the fact that, you know, women, as Mao said, women hold up half the sky. Uh, think of all, you know, all the value that older people in general and older women in particular bring to society in terms of what we know, who we care for, and how beautifully we do it. Mm. Yeah, I um, I saw that that this thing that I saw, and I mean, I I was very like, oh, that's so silly, you know. Um, but it did make me think about it. And thank you for your answer, because I mean, that's trolling. That's yeah. That's a straight up <laughs> misogyny. Yeah, um, but it. I mean, it stuck with me, unfortunately. Um, well, stuck with you so you could ask the question and think mm -hmm. about it. So it was intended to stick with you, but if it sticks with you so that you can figure out why it's so, so not just false, but wrong, you are mm -hmm. armored to, um, you know, protect others against that kind of logic. Perfect. Logic. Sorry. Thinking. Nothing about that is logical. No, they think it's logic, but it's not. Off. Um, so Sounds like some incel talk to me. <laughs> mm. um, now, how can we, how can we use this thinking, and um, you know, the uh, how can we use our knowledge of ageism and sexism to help with our own personal resilience? Well, I think it's very helpful to realize that we are that I'm, I'm often asking people to zoom out, to look at the larger forces behind our circumstances, both in terms of privilege and in terms of loss. There's a scholar named Amos Wilson who said in the context of the United States, if you want to understand any problem in America, don't look at who suffers from it. Look at who profits from it. If we can see these systems of the repression of women, of the silencing of, of people at both ends of the age spectrum, we can see how they operate to maintain systems of power. They are not personal failings, right? That's the whole premise of consciousness raising, which you do just by talking about this stuff in a safe space, is, oh, this is not my failing. It's not my fault in the context of sexism that, uh, you know, my boss is harassing me or it's because my breasts are too big or my breasts are too small or whatever. These are 
these are issues that everyone who shares that identity comes up against. Therefore, their source is structural, not personal, and that means we can come together and do something about it. And the first step is to educate yourselves about these systems. I mean, and, you know, again, old school clearinghouse, old school.info. You know, if you want to really understand ageism, read my book, listen to my book, read any of the other really excellent books. And there's so many good books about, um, about sexism as well. They're not too many that intersect, although there's one, the very, it's called Look Me in the Eye, Old Woman, written by two lesbians in the 60s. Um, all, I'm sorry to say that almost everything in it is still highly relevant. So, you know, educate yourself and talk, talk with your friends about it in the context of some questions or some, a little homework that helps you see these larger forces at work. Great, thank you. Uh, was there anything that we missed um, that you wanted to talk about? Have we fixed all the things? Um, I haven't. <laughs> I I would like to put the idea in people's heads um, that you know there is sort of a wrong-headed tendency to think, well, I'm busy being anti-racist. I don't have time to be anti-ageist, right? Or I'm, you know, I am working full time on women's rights. I don't have time to think about climate change or climate justice or whatever. We know the idea of intersectionality is that all these issues, the, it, these forms of identity um, compound and intersect with each other, right, in each of our lives and in, in every place in the world as well. Activism and advocacy is intersectional too. A better world in which to grow old is a better world in which to be not white right? It's a better world in which to have a, a disability. A better world for disabled people is a better world for older people, you know, and everyone ages. These are, these all intersect. When you are working against any form of prejudice, you are chipping away at the fear and, and ignorance that underlie them all. The thought process you just described so beautifully about, gee, that made me think differently about my age. There's going to be another circumstance, and there have probably been 50 already, where, oh, that made me think differently about my white privilege. That made me think differently about my gender identity, right? It's a practice. So remember that chip, that you don't have to choose, right? That being anti-ageist means supporting every struggle for equal rights, and that if your friends are tied up on that, you know, no one gets shot in the U.S. for, you know, what was the latest, you know, walking while while white, right? And people get shot in this country for walking or driving while black. So if that's a higher priority, I think I will say that racism does need to be the top priority in this country because of the hideous way it is embedded in our history. That said, we need to work against all the things all the time. But when that seems like a really heavy load, keep in mind that when you're chipping away at one of them, you are chipping away at them all. Thank you. That makes me feel a lot better because sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough because there's so many things to think about nowadays. And yeah, I guess knowing that, um, yeah, one thing is good, but everything is better, but still one thing is good. But one thing is everything. One working mm. against one form of ignorance or bias does get at, it is a route to undermining them all. Exactly. It's all yes. the things. Thank you. Mm. Um, and uh, what is a practice that you do in your own life to improve your resilience? Oh, God, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm lucky. I'm self-employed. I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. Um, I go see a lot of art. And um, I cultivate a pretty big friend group um, because that's important to me and makes and you know we, we know you know the most important component of a good old age is not health and not wealth it is having a solid social network and one way to do that you know is to have younger friends because I don't want to outlive all my friends um and also you know I and I urge of course younger people to make older friends because you can learn from us you know things that you like about the way we're aging and things you don't like things to avoid and things to possibly emulate do you have any suggestions on how people can um, make a diverse friend group? 
it's hard. It has to be conscious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to think it, it was easy to have friends of all ages. Um, but then I realized if it was easy, I would have many more friends of color. And my friend group is still, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but still predominantly white. So, um, you know, we have to be conscious. We have to reach out. We have to invite. We have to listen. And as white people, we also have to, you know, we have to shut up and listen and find, you know, find out by listening what, what, what matters to people who aren't like us so we can support them in a way that they would choose, you know, ask, just ask, 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 ask. Mm. Thank you. Um, very good advice. And I think, yeah, I mean, I have trouble finding friends just in general, not even people of different, um, races and different genders. Um, think of yeah. something you like to do and mm -hmm. find a mixed up group to do it with. Right. Thank you. You can't yes. just grab someone, you know, hello person, you know, who's a different color or different age, be my friend. But you, but if you think of something, you know, a hobby, um, uh, athletic activity, singing, knitting, boys knit now. <laughs> Not that I've taken up knitting. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've always wanted to join those um, knitting groups in pubs, but I don't drink. So. Uh, well, it'll probably make your knitting better, but that'll probably make them envy and dislike you. No, just kidding. I mean, go, you know, get a drink, do it and drink, you know, drink, drink soda water and, and knit. Yes, I think I'll do that. Um, so we've also got some questions from the audience. Um, and I think we've got some time. So, um, our first question is, um, is it ages to call someone older than you cute? Uh, well, put yourself in the position of the person. Um, you know, if they're five minutes older than you and they're cute, no, it's fine. But, uh, one of the, one thing that ageism does is desexualize older people. And, you know, uh, you'll see a, an, you know, an older couple holding hands and people think they're cute. Would you if you're holding hands with your, you know, you, you just got married and you're young, well, 40 years from now, do you want people to think you're cute? You know, maybe you just, you know, got out of bed for after an afternoon of hot sex. You know, you don't ever want people to make assumptions about you and your sex life, your intimate life, um, period. So run it past what, what you would want. You know, it, it's condescending, right? It's condescending. I mean, babies are cute. Puppies are cute. You know, and, and of course we use cute. Oh, he's so cute. And I would, you know, I, I don't mean that the word can't pass your lips, but if it's the, if it's the fact that a person is significantly older than you, that makes them cute, that's ageist. Mm. I've always wondered that because I do call people cute a lot. Um, just everyone. Well, that's different. But and then it's, mm. then it's not tied to age, right? Mm. Or gender, right? You don't want it tied to that either or to body size. You know, if it's a word you use a lot and apply to a wide range of people, then that's just, it's just a word you like and that's fine. But, mm. but you might find, I mean, it might irk people and they might say, please don't call me that. But then you've learned and you will not call them that. Yes, definitely. Our second question, uh, what are some of the harmful stereotypes associated with aging? Well, my least favorite I touched on is that old people are all alike, you know, that mm. we'd sort of wake up one day and morph into this sort of blob of, you know, old people or the elderly. Um, another is that we are not sexual, you know? I mean, why? And I think we have to be a little careful here because I don't want to say that you have to keep being as sexually active as you were in your youth or keep running as fast. It's, you know, that is, it, it can be held as, as, sort of something we need to keep doing all the things we did when we were young, ideally the way we did them when we were young so we can appear youthful. And that is a, you know, a punishing standard that no one can keep up with. And there are people who do for whom sex becomes less important. Um, sometimes it's because your libido diminishes. Sometimes, especially for straight older women, it's because there there's fewer partners because men date younger women and because men, uh, more men, die, uh, lack of opportunity. So there is absolutely no shame, no judgment around 
being less sexual or becoming asexual or maybe you're born asexual, right? Um, but, you know, if it is important to you, you can keep having sex for as long as you want, as long as you accept the fact that you're probably not going to have it the way you did when you were in your 20s. But um, newsflash, we get better at it. You know, like we get better at most things. And the important thing, you know, is, I mean, why would we, why would we give up on intimacy, assuming we have access to it and assuming it matters to us? And I think it's great that you bring in that we get better at it um, because I guess we get to know, our, we get better at a lot of things because we get to know ourselves better as we age. Yeah. And you get better. I think back to, to gender, I think, you know, I hope this is changing. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, I was socialized, you know, in the 50s and 60s. You never picked up the phone and asked the boy out ever, um, which is just now seems so backwards. It's so like, you know, ancient. Um, so values are changing, but I do think it's still harder for women to say what they want. And I think women are still socialized to be passive and pleasing. And you age out of that, and that is really liberating. We get better at knowing what we want, and we get better at saying and expecting what we want. Mm. Um, I, I, this is the main, my main grievance, not my main grievance, but uh, a grievance I have is everyone, uh, all my friends talking about how they want to get married, and they really hope their boyfriends propose soon. And I'm like, just propose to them. Yeah. Just mess, mess up the system. Just do it. 100%. But it's easy for me to say because I don't want to get married. <laughs> well, I did write my pr previous um, serious book was called Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well. So you can have me on for another show to talk about that one. Oh, perfect. Great. Thank you. Um, that sounds like a really great topic as well. And I'll come prepared for that. Um, our third question is um, for the audience questions. Uh, what is the role of the media in shaping societal attitudes towards aging and gender? You know, I can't, the, the media is not a monolith. Um, certainly the, you know, the, the, the gripping, true, accurate story about aging is that most of us are not going to get early onset Alzheimer's and, you know, lose our cognitive capacity in our 50s and most of us are not going to be jumping out of airplanes in our 90s but those are the stories that people click on the true story which is that most of us by definition end up in the messy middle you know um you know might take us longer to find our glasses or whatever we're certainly physically slowed although cognitive decline is not inevitable but that is not who's going to you know race to read the story about all the people in the messy middle it is the media's job to sell papers there's an archaic reference or you know to get clicks and so they do promote stories about um you know about one end of the spectrum and you know that's those those idiotic stories about 10 things you know 60 years you know women over 40 should never wear or eight most annoying habits of millennials you know try to resist is all i can say they're crap and they're not good for us <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess um less media maybe maybe i mean or i would say a varied media diet mm, right true. you know read me i'm i'm you know social media i wouldn't be where I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to be just read me, but, you know, read people who present, you know, diverse points of view and people who do their homework. I mean, I am very, very careful that what I say has been backed up, you know, by solid science. Mm, definitely. So I guess diverse media and pick your media wisely. Um, yeah. Make sure yeah. there's re research in there. Mm. Right. And our last um, audience question is, um, is it ages to offer someone a seat on public transport because they're old? That is a great question. And it's not an easy one. A short answer, yes. It is, and the question, I hear it a lot from the other side, older people saying this, you know, this person offered me a seat and I bit their head off and I was so insulted. Offering someone a seat is a kind gesture and we should appreciate it and say thank you whether we want the seat or not the reason people react angrily and the probably the reason your 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 
you know, the, the person sent this question in is they don't want to screw up. Um, and again, we're going to screw up. People reject the offer of a seat because of their internalized ageism and ableism. They don't want to admit because of the stigma that they look quote unquote old enough to need a seat. Now, the need there is tricky. You should, oops, you might offer your seat to anyone who looks like they might need it. That could be someone on crutches. That could be someone with shopping bags. That could be someone with a little child, right? That could be someone who is pregnant. To do so, strictly speaking, on the basis of age is ageist because it is to equate age and physical incapacity. But if you, and, and so a way to not get into trouble is to offer the, the seat, don't jump up like, you know, Sir Galahad and make a big deal of it. Ask someone, would you like my seat? In a, you know, and, and in a way that they can say no. It's like you should never take the arm, or I will you should there, of, of a blind person or someone with a disability. Ask, 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 would you like this seat? Can I help you across the street? If the person says no thanks, you have done your good deed. If the person says no thanks and F you, that's their problem, right? That is because they have work to do about why should it be so terrible to look like you might need a hand across the street. I love getting offered a seat. Sometimes I say I'm getting off at the next stop, but it is a good thing to offer. And, you know, we all need to be kind to each other. So I hope you do um, continue to offer. Mm. Um, this is a sort of ongoing debate with my own partner and I, um, because I was taught to offer my seat to anyone who needs it. And specifically, um, older people was what I was taught. Um, so I will go up to people and offer it. Whereas my partner was just like, just get up from the seat and they'll sit down if they need it. Well, then some unscrupulous young person might grab it. <laughs> I mean, That's I, the thing. you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you make it clear that you are delighted to jump up from your seat for this person, mm. uh, which I'm sure you're, you know, able to do that, that is the, that is the solution. Mm. Thank you. You know, it's not just token. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, so we have our open mic section, um, which is where you get to talk about something that you're passionate about and it doesn't necessarily have to be related to the topic. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about? I know this sounds tiresome, but, um, you know, I love talking about this because it is so unexamined and because it just gets more interesting all the time. You know, even, even when I've learned all there is to know about age and aging, which is, I say, tongue in cheek, believe me, I have an awful lot more to learn about being disabled, about not being white. And every time I learn, you know, or fill in the blank, right? And every time I learn something about that, it informs all, it's like a cascade. All the assumptions I've been making or all the things I thought about where I, where I, how I might say something better or how I, uh, something I could read to understand it better and so on. I mean, that's aging is fascinating, right? It is how we move through life. And I never get tired of talking about it. And especially now, because it seems really important because the world is is aging everyone because we need to come together at all ages you know to address problems and because um you know an age if you have friends of all ages your life will be infinitely richer mm, thank you um yes yeah, such a fascinating topic and i feel like we've only just scratched the surface uh -huh. um so I'll be looking forward to reading your book and, uh, yeah, having a look on your website a bit more, um, and using the resources that you, um, mentioned before. Um, in fact, um, if people want to find out more about you, um, and if they want to find your website, where should they go? So my main website is thischairrocks.com and that links to, um, everything else you can find old school. You can find a link to old school there, although it is a separate entity, oldschool.info. You can find in, on my blog, thischairrocks.com slash blog. It's there in the sidebar. I have been thinking out loud on that blog for 15 years and it's searchable by topic. So search, you know, search sex, search consciousness raising, search 
Alzheimer's. Search something that interests you and you'll find um, my thoughts on it. Also a link to my Tumblr, which is called Yo Is This Ageist, modeled with permission on the excellent Yo Is This Racist, um, which the uh, person who started that started because we're awkward talking about race and we're ignorant talking about age. And the questions are hard. That question, should you give up your seat to an old person, is not simple. Culture is complicated, right? So I try really hard to um, give smart, um, you know, and hopefully funny uh, answers there. And also I am active on social media because I think it's part of my job. Um, if anyone thinks I'm wasting my time, you can let me know. Um, but I'm at this chair rocks on Twitter and same on Instagram and I have a LinkedIn page and blah, blah, blah. I am really easy to find. I'm the only person in the world named Ashton Applewhite. If you can't find me, you're not trying. Great. Thank you. Um, and we'll make sure those links are in our um, show notes so people can find them easily. Um, isn't it great to have a unique name as well? <laughs> well, uh, yes, it turns out that yes, it is. It is yeah. good. <laughs> Some problems, but yes, I'm sure. Uh, pros and cons, pros and cons. Anyway, thank Easy you for joining me. <laughs> Easy to spell. Yes. Uh, thank you for joining me today. It was very insightful and has given me a lot to think about. And I think our listeners will think about this a lot as well. Thank you, Gabriella. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.